Welcome to another week here on Cap and Trade. I am your host, Texans Cap. On the bottom left of your device screen, you will see a microphone icon. You can use that to request speaking rights. We have some points of discussion to cover this week, and we'll try to get to as many of your questions as possible throughout the show. As a reminder, this show is recorded and will be redistributed via the Cap and Trade podcast. Thank you again if you're a returning listener, and if you're new, welcome. With that, let's go. All right, tonight we have Matt Weston, also goes by Matt Double underscore Weston on Twitter from Battle Red Blog. He's joining me tonight to talk a little bit about the Texans and uh, how things went against the New York Jets this past weekend. And uh, Matt, welcome. Yeah, how's it going? Going good, man. I, you know, we, you and I, we've we've conversed back and forth on Twitter, but we've never verbally discuss things or, or gotten to, to chat beyond just uh, a few messages here back and forth. So that I guess was kind of a long time coming. Yeah. I'm excited to do this. I think I've had the same conversation probably with like five or six other people out or, or hit the wrong button. So no worries. Uh, but, uh, no more mistakes. I got it now. Okay. But uh, yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I mean, I, you know, with, I, I can't, I can't do any of the super secret research on you. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you write quite a bit for Battle Red blog, but kind of tell us about yourself. Yeah, I don't think anybody's ever asked me this before in all the podcast appearances and, th- and things I've done over the years. But uh, I guess I started writing for the website, I think, probably in 2014, now, right before that cursed season because I had a bunch of free time in college. And rather than play MVP Baseball 2005, I needed a more productive way to spend my time and I always wanted to write and you know, write about you know the Texans and football in general was something that was kind of like an easy avenue to do so and I ended up you know really loving it and I'm doing off and on for the website you know for a few years after that and then I've been kind of like just um, entrenched in it for I guess the last like four seasons or so and um, you're doing the podcast and everything else as well too uh, but it's one of those things where like you have seasons like this where you try to create your own ways to make it enjoyable and. I've been doing, uh, me and like everybody else on the website has been doing the best job they can doing it, whether it's, you know, Scott writing, uh, um, you know, totally fake news or uprooted Texans, mystery of informations, or some of the new, some of the news articles and you know, film room articles we've had on the site. It's been, it's been fun, you know, being in the misery with everybody else this year. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's tough even for me just doing these. I mean, I, I enjoy doing these weekly. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's just tough to be, it's tough to find some positive notes and, and whenever I create the talking points for these things and it's, you know, it's just another tough season to endure, you know, especially with how quickly things have cratered in the past, you know, 12, 14 months. But, you know, I've, I've, I've followed BRB for quite a good while. I know y'all, y'all have always retweeted my work and helped me out and things like that. Are you, I mean, are, are you running the site now more or less? Cause I, I don't know who actually is behind the main Twitter handle. Yeah. So Tim, Tim's behind the main Twitter handle. And like, he, I guess like officially runs the site, but then I kind of manage the, the, you know, the stuff that we have you day to day. And then I do a lot of the editing and everything else. I don't know. It's not like really an official thing, but like he like officially runs the side and I kind of do handle the day to day stuff and make sure it stays in our hands, you know? Okay, good. Well, no, we, we appreciate all the work you put out there, especially the, the efforts you put into the all 22 cutups and posting those. Cause I, I gave up on my game pass this year. This is the first year I don't have game pass. And I, 
unfortunately, time is just getting more and more away from me with, with family obligations. And mm-hmm. I appreciate you <laughs> putting those out because it definitely helps me see things that I don't have. I, I just don't have the time to be able to go see anymore. So with that, yeah, we'll, it's, a, it's a bummer that, that they also script the U.S. version, too. Or it's like it's completely impossible to use it all to see what you want to see. And so I had to go out and get a VPN and get the UK version and everything else. But yeah, thank you. I mean, I'm, I told myself going this year, I was going to do as much NFL stuff that I'd done previously. And I would focus, you know, entirely on Houston. And I told myself I'd make sure to watch every single coach's film um, instead of like catching back or just like going back and looking at things that were important, you know, no matter how bad it got. And so, yeah, today I spent today watching the jets video and i've been going through it and i uh, have everything just about done and it was uh it was a blast you know a great way to spend my my tuesday <laughs> uh, and that's the one thing i you know, i told aaron reese the same thing on here because he's very he's very dry and sarcastic and i pick up on your sarcasm a lot on twitter and i truly respect the sarcasm because i'm pretty dry myself um so we'll jump into this so just kind of give me your overall high level thoughts on the new york jets game so I guess offensively, it was something where the Jets played a lot of cover four, a lot of cover seven, which is expected from a you know, Robert Sala defense. And then whenever they blitz, kind of like what Houston does, they go from those coverages to playing cover one. Um, whenever they played cover four, the one thing they did kind of differently was they had Ashton Davis kind of step up as a robber to take away like digs and posts and some of those uh, inter- intermediate crossing patterns as well too. And so by doing so, it kind of took away like, those kind of middle of the field passes that you know Tyrod likes to throw, and it really led to like Houston kind of just being stuck throwing to the in the flat a lot. But then the kind of the most frustrating thing offensively watching the video is just going back to the fact that the Jets don't have good cornerback play. They have a trio of cornerbacks who are younger than twenty five years old. Um, they've all they're just trying to figure out like what they have in these young guys. But you know Tim Kelly did a, a really bad job of using you know cover four coverage beaters. And he really hit it like twice, you know, one that Nico Collins play where he was able to split the corner and the safety and Tyra Taylor overthrew him. The other one was a stack set with, uh, with Cooks and, and Collins where, you know, Cooks runs the vertical and was able to get inside leverage on the cornerback. And that was the one that Taylor hit. And they tried run, they only ran one other beater. And that was with another stack set of Cooks and Amendola. And Amendola runs the out and he gets you know, knocked out of the air by, um, Guidry, I guess it's Javelin Guidry with the Jets, and that was really like the only instances of them really attacking that defense aside from dumping off into the flat. And so you're looking at the way Tyrod Taylor's played the last few weeks. It's either is Taylor really bad or is Tim Kelly really bad? Like we know, like Taylor is probably an average, below average quarterback depending on the situation, the opponent. And I'm just kind of like all in on just like Tim Kelly, you know, being really bad being kind of like how Bill O'Brien was where he could like come up with a few game plans here and there that are interesting and competent, but like week to week and, you know, it's just been uh, just a mess. And this week against the New York Jets who have the worst defense in football by DVA, it was just grotesque kind of the play calling from this week's game. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the, the points I had on for us to talk about was Tyrod Taylor versus kind of Davis Mills. Or we're starting to get, see Tyrod get his snap counts up to similar to what Mills had and their their stats are starting to come together and that's you know you hit the nail on the head is that a function of Taylor's play or is that a function of play calling probably a combination of both I mean we're starting to in my opinion I think we're starting to see the Tyrod Taylor that was expected not the what we saw the first six quarters of the season 
but I didn't expect it to quite be this bad. Now, whether that, like you said, whether that's a function of, of the play calling or not, that's, you know, we're just going to have to wait to see. But at this point, I mean, it seems like Coley's just going to stick with Tyrod until until he until he can anymore, and I, I think that's more of him trying to defend his job versus versus putting Mills out there mm-hmm. to, you know, potentially see some more development out of him or to just so the team can see what they have in him. But, I mean, kind of what are your thoughts on what we're – on a Tyrod Taylor versus Davis Mills and going forward. Yeah. I mean, for me and Davis Mills, like I've watched his video at Stanford and I didn't think he was good at all. I thought he was like, you know, his ceiling would be a backup quarterback and then watching him play this year. Like he wasn't good. And a lot of it too. It's like, I feel bad for Davis Mills watching him this year just because of the said circumstances they threw him into where he obviously wasn't ready. You're getting picked up by Vern Hargraves all, all summer long. And rather than having like an actual backup quarterback for him, you know, something happened to Taylor, which was expected for you know injury prone quarterback who is a run heavy quarterback who is you know entering like his his early thirties, which was expected. He was stuck playing the toughest part of the schedule behind a bad offensive line with the worst run offense in football, and he they really only used five route concepts for him that he felt comfortable throwing, and it was a it was, you know it's a Fisher Price train brawl sort of offense that had no upside all whatsoever. And I think, too, like even with Tim Kelly going back to that, the most frustrating thing about watching Davis Mills this year was that his best skill at Stanford was throwing those vertical passes down the sideline with touch, and they didn't run it at all. Like They ran two of those plays against the Jets. One was kind of like a fluky, like, oh, my God, throw um, that you haven't seen them at all before, but they just didn't scheme those throws at all. And the only other time you really saw it was against the Rams when they were down by 30 points already. And so I just don't understand like why you have a quarterback who has this one skill. You have a pretty good pass protecting offensive line. You have no run game to speak of. Like why not give them some shots at doing the things that they're good at doing? And like really like throughout this offense and throughout this season, it's kind of been the biggest thing that has defined it from performance plays that they just haven't done a good job at putting their players in the best position to play. And whenever the talent's limited to begin with, you know, you see the results that we're seeing right now. Yeah. That's, I mean, that that's an interesting point. I'd, I had kind of wondered what the what we're seeing out there on a play calling variety, I guess is one way you could say, between what Tyrod has available at the playbook versus what Davis Mills has at the playbook. But you you see players, even former players, who are going on to other teams and having I wouldn't say mm-hmm. success, but they're I mean low low talent level players that are still putting up somewhat numbers in other places. So that's just another another nail in the coffin to, to the, to the Tim McKelly experiment, which, which I think is very clear that it's going to be over after this year. I don't think, I don't think Coley's going to fire him in mid season. I think it's, he's just better off just hanging on for the rest of the year, let him finish out the season and then he'll probably move on. I mean, it, it was pretty clear, at least in my eyes that Kelly was kept pretty much as a function of trying to satisfy Deshaun Watson, which mm-hmm. end up not, being need not being needed so i mean that's you know it is what it is it you know like i said i think it's going to be tyrod till until otherwise unless he gets hurt again and we probably won't see a davis mills for the rest of the year so we're talking about you know pass blocking offensive line so we saw offensive line iteration i think number seven or eight (laughs) i think it's I, i think it's number seven i had it written down and i forgot to put it in my notes i'm pretty sure it's uh, seven sounds right. Yeah, I think it's number seven with uh, 
Titus Howard at left tackle, Lane Taylor at at left guard. So what what did you see there with the off, with this offensive line configuration? Yeah, they're like I was talking to you know Brand Scott last night, and we we're kind of talking about like when the offense had success, and that was before I was able to watch the video. Watching it today, you know those drives where they had you know success that first long drive that ended in the the screen pass interception. And then that second long drive that ended in the Brevin Jordan interception, the Brevin Jordan touchdown. But those two drives are really like because the offensive line was playing pretty well. And it wasn't like they're making great blocks at all, but they're playing with a lot more toughness, a lot more tenacity in the run game. And they're just getting, you know, hats on hats. And they were just like getting in front of uh, defenders, which has been a very difficult thing for them to do this year. But aside from those two drives, like it was, it was kind of bad. Their run offense is really. Justin McCray pulling on power and trap. And that was the the main way they were trying to get uh, yards. They ran a lot of duo and they had problems getting their double team split, split on duo, kind of similar to that. Um, once McCray got hurt, they brought Sharping in at right guard. And because Sharping was in, they decided to run outside zone, which you know didn't work at all. And I don't know why they think Sharping's an outside zone blocker whenever he's in there because he hasn't really shown the propensity to do it at all. And then he had that, probably the worst block I've seen this year is that whiff on outside zone right where he doesn't help the three technique at all stumbles and falls forward and Morrissey gets beaten and uh ends with a tackle for a loss for like you know a three or four yard loss but it was kind of like how, how it's been uh, the rest of this time of year, this year too where the pass protection was you know worse than before just because Morrissey had a lot of problems in the interior um and then also like just Lane Taylor just wasn't able to help him out very well just some of that's like also the way the scheme's sliding but you know, with the level of awareness, like I understand you have the B gap, but if you're have a jet, you know, a jet edge defensive in there and there's no threat of a pass rusher, like you have to look inside and help. And he didn't do a very good job of that to help Morrissey out on the interior. And like watching Tyus Howard's kind of the big thing about him playing left tackle. And he was good. Like he had, he gave up two sacks this game and a pressure. Um, that one sack was the bull rush against Ronald Blair, who's, you know, a practice squad player, but he caught him off guard with it. The other was that blitz sack by Quincy Williams. You know, Howard should be blocking the interior man on that one. They have man on man that side of the formation, and he ends up blocking the defensive end rather than look back inside and pick up the interior blitzer because Taylor did have a shot on the seam on that throw, uh, but that was quickly, you know, 7K by the blitz on that one. And, like, aside from that, though, like, he locked down, you know, whichever defensive end was in front of him, whether it was, you know, Franklin Myers or – um, or Shaq Lawson or whoever they've tossed him up there. He was, you know, a good pass protector at left tackle and uh and you know, which was kind of what you expected after watching play right tackle uh last year as well too. Yeah, and I, you know, it was it was a welcome surprise to see him out there. I was definitely glad to see Lane Taylor finally get a shot. He he started off well, kind of got a little sideways towards the end of the game, but I think like you said, that was a function of the lack of communication between him and Morrissey or maybe just the lack of cohesion, you know, his first game out with Taylor, I mean, they've been practicing together, but you know, nothing replicates what we see in the game. And that was, <laughs> I'm still laughing about the, the sharpening. I just, I'm now I'm replaying that in my head when he, <laughs> when he fell forward. And that's all I can think about. And, and it's that can't, that's probably is one of the worst blocks, but the Texan, the Texans offensive line, especially when they're pulling guards this year, have some pretty, pretty rough, uh, pretty rough attempts at blocking. But no, I think, I think that the team needs to continue to trot out Howard and Lane Taylor on the left side. I think the, I think the Jimmy Morrissey experiment is probably about to come to an end. He's, 
you know, we saw Britt was designated for return last week. I think uh, Coach Coley said that he's really close to returning, hoping he can make it back for the Indianapolis game. I was moderately excited about having Morrissey out there, and then after three games of Morrissey, I'm now ready to see Justin Britt come back. I think Morrissey, he's you know he's only 305 pounds. He's 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 a little bit on mm-hmm. the the smaller side when it comes to, especially for centers. You know, Britt I think is like 325, almost 330. He's got about three inches on him as well. Britt's a little bit taller than your usual center, but I think Morrissey is is fine for depth, but I'm just not sure. He just needs more work, more time. Maybe put a little more, maybe more room, more locker room or weight room work, things like that. But I think that experiment's about over. I mean, I don't know that Brett's any more an improvement over Morrissey, but it's, it's probably going to be a moderate improvement. But I think the team needs to continue to see some more out of Justin Brett to see if he's worth a return back in 2022. Yeah, I see what you're saying by that. Like, I think Morrissey's been um, – like he, I think it was unremarkable the first two games he played. And like he has good leverage. He has good hand placement. Like, he knows how to play the position pretty well, but it really is just getting used to the teammates around him for him. And also, like, he's a undrafted free agent. Those guys are typically limited athletes. And so I don't know if he'll ever have the athleticism to really play, you know, center in the NFL at all. I would still kind of rather watch him than Justin Britt out there. Just because, like, Britt wasn't – we've watched Britt play, you know, I guess six games, and he wasn't particularly good. He had a lot of problems in pass protection. He didn't really block the second level very well. He had problems getting his head in the outside shoulder in the outside zone game. And like I I I think we've seen enough from him to know that you know, he isn't the answer. I don't think Morrissey's the answer either. But at least like if you get Morrissey more reps, maybe there's something where you bring in another veteran next year and you have another camp battle with Morrissey and maybe a guy who's like twenty five or you draft somebody in the in the third round or something they can battle out. And at least there's some like allure of youth or potential there. Just because I haven't really seen it with uh with Britt, you know, watching him play this year too. Yeah. It the youth part of it, it would be welcomed. I mean, I, I think it's, it's not good to keep bringing in aging vets with bad knees, at this mm-hmm. point. So, yeah, I, I'm or bad backs. Yeah, or, you know, he's he's had a multitude of injuries. So we'll jump over here to a question. Charlie's been been patiently waiting. Let me give him Charlie Hecht fan club Jeff Bear. Says connecting. All right. Just take your mute, uh, self off mute, Jeff. Right. Hi, how you doing, fellas? Good. That's so, bad. so you can tell my my uh, my handle is Charlie Heck Fan Club. Yeah. So I, I know that. I know I know he hasn't played very very well, but where do you think that he can improve uh, to be a, to be a solid right tackle? I know his hand placements uh, sometimes gets him in trouble on bull rushes, and he doesn't. He's not really start against uh, some speed rushes, but where do you think that he can improve in to be the, the caliber right tackle for the next maybe four or five years? Go ahead, man. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I think, I mean, like, I thought Heck had been, like, he's at least a swing tackle, you know? And, like, if he's a starting right tackle week in, week in and week out, I don't know if he's ever gets to that point, but, like, he's at least a swing tackle and he's been, you know, a fine enough right tackle. Like, he isn't the reason why, They've had a lot of struggles at the offensive line position. He's a very good outside zone though, and uh, and like he's better at like, making down blocks and especially against the second level. He's he was a good puller on dart last week too, and really I think the biggest thing about Heck is that 
he had been getting better every single week. And like, I know it's a cliche to say like his dad's an offensive line coach and all that, but you can tell like whenever you watch, watch like the video week in and week out, like he's gotten better every single week. And last week, unfortunately was the worst game he's had so far this year. We had a lot of problems with these. Like, like you mentioned about his hands, like the defensive ends, the jets had were consistently getting their hands on into his chest right away. And Franklin Myers was really great at that. And the other thing he was doing too, he was just opening the gate too early where he wasn't staying square in his pass set and just opening up the inside rush a lot too. Um, and he had problems, some problems with pad level and moving guys off the line of scrimmage. But the one play that was a killer was that interception that Franklin Myers had because that's all heck of one versus one matchup. He has to hold on that block for you know three seconds and he got demolished on it and lets the tip pass and the pick on it. And so like I'm still interested to see if heck, you know, I'm interested in him just because he's improved every single week until last week. And I think if he gets a little bit better with like outside zone blocking, with his hand placement, with his pad level, you know, maybe he can be uh, a competent starting right tackle. I just don't think we're there yet. And I think at, at a minimum, like he's worth a roster spot as far as being a swing tackle. And like, if you have him there as your, as your third tackle, it's not a bad spot to be in. I don't think. Fair. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Charlie. All right. Let's see. Uh, what did I just do? Oh, I saw there was one other request in there, but I guess he, I guess he dropped off for now. Um, James, I do see your your uh, message on DM, so we'll we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, and then Houston's back in here. So let's see here. Houston football three. So just hang tight. We'll get to you in a few minutes. And then, uh, like James did, if if you don't want to. You know, some people don't want to speak. That's perfectly fine. Uh, you can send me a DM or, or post a question on Twitter when, you know, my DMs are open. So more than welcome to do it that way as well. Uh, kind of shift gears over to the defensive side, Matt. And, you know, I'd, a couple of things I wanted to kind of look at was, I mean, I guess we'll go ahead and talk about it. Justin Reed, the, the benching, I mean, I, I've heard offline that, Reed was a little bit out of line. The team a little bit overreacted and both sides know that they were kind of both at, at fault. And I think it sounds like everything's going to be fine that he'll probably be suiting back up this coming weekend. I haven't heard any, I know nothing's officially been or officially leaked out or anything like that, but I mean, I, I understand what the team and what Cully's trying to do. I understand you got to set rules. You got to set boundaries, and every player is subject to that. But this team, it just cannot continue to take on this bad press, especially in these forums where you're disciplining players for for stepping out, despite what what uh, what Ryan, uh, Ryan Clark had to say. You know, he I think he portrayed it a little bit differently than what I heard. You know, I'm sure he was spinning a little bit on Justin Reed's side. But you have any thoughts on the Justin Reed situation? I, I think the, the biggest thing I took from it was just going back to listening to their press conferences this summer when Nick Casario and David Coley were talking about like what team that they wanted to be and what their foundations were for you know this culture. And one of the things they talked about a lot was you know, communicating clearly, communicating effectively. And you know, one of the funniest things was whenever Casario was asked about Jack Easterby and here's a chance to communicate communicate clearly 
what his role is, and he doesn't answer the question, gives a bunch of non-answers to it. And I think like this kind of goes back to that as well, too, that they've like made this like a pillar of their culture. And now you have a situation where Justin Reed, you know, is in a spot as one of the you know, best defensive players on best one of the best players of the team, let alone, you know, probably the second best defender they've had this year, and has had some sort of disagreement with the player. And rather than just like having them hash it out, and as long as like things weren't, you know, like I would say too vitriolic or personal attacks weren't said or he, there wasn't like a fist fire or something like that. You know, I don't, there's a chance there like you can commute something internally, take care of it internally um, and get better out of it. And like things happen during a football season where there's disagreements and, uh, and like, I don't know what the disagreement was exactly, but I think it's just another example of, well, we say this thing and now here we have a chance to be able to like do and take care of something as like a typical organization does, but instead it becomes a benching. It becomes a national story. It draws attention to, you know, something that doesn't really need any attention drawn to for a team mired in a bad season like it did. And so I just think it was kind of like a, a hypocritical thing to do. And like, Reed would have made an impact in this game. You watch Terrence Brooks play that Lonnie Johnson Jr. safety role where he's 30 yards off the field, or you watch him and Eric Murray take a lot of bad pursuit angles and miss tackles, and, you know, Reed would clean a lot of that stuff up. And, you know, maybe Elijah Moore gets, uh, you know, 15 yards instead of 35 yards and things like that. So it was kind of frustrating um, seeing how the whole thing played out, and especially with Reed being you know a free agent next year as well too, and seeing how much that may impact if he stays in Houston next year too. Well, I think we, I mean we've been talking about it every week, and I think the the if on Reed is a pretty pretty well certainty that he's not going to return. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I, I think he 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 definitely knows and views, especially from from the history with his brother. I think he knows that this is a business and this is going to be a, a very critical business decision, especially this, you know, coming off rookie contract, being a, a, a decent solid uh, safety. He's not, he's not in the, the top tier of safeties, but he'll, he'll still command a decent contract in free agency. So this is his one, probably one chance, maybe second chance after that, but his first real chance to get a life life changing contract and, I don't think that's going to come here in Houston because I don't think he'll have any interest in re-signing at this point. I mean, less things. I mean, things can change obviously, and things can can change over in the off season. But as of stands today, and my opinion has been this way for the last six weeks that he's gone after this year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I see that too, and like I think wherever he ends up will be a better player just because they just have moved him around so much. You know, in Houston, he played. He went from strong safety, his rookie. He went from free safety his rookie year to strong safety, and then he, then he was then this year again too. He went from a single a double high safety back to a strong safety. Now he's playing free safety and going back to like his rookie year too. I think like his best spot for him to play is deep middle safety, and hopefully he signs on like a cover one or cover three heavy team where he can play that role that he's best at. Because I do think Houston's done a bad job of moving him around and putting that a spot where. You know, he's not like the he's not like a, a big thumping run stopper. He's not a great blitzer. He's not like a great man coverage player. He's good at taking away a team's like deep passing game and like sharing and like clearing up tackles for the last line defense. Yeah, so it's safe to say, yeah, because I'm I've, you'll see him line up in the block in the box, and I agree with you. And it, it seems he's best when when the ball's in front of him. If he can keep his eyes in front of him then that's where he's best, where he's anticipating watching the quarterback eyes and and making the work off of that. So I definitely agree with you there. You know, and on that notion of them continuing to move players around, so Lonnie Johnson, 
Now back to cornerback. Got 11 snaps this weekend. Do you think do you think he should get a nod over Desmond King on the outside next week or the week after that? Yeah, I mean with Lonnie, I'm I've always kind of thought he'd be better playing cornerback in like a cover 3 defense or cover 4 defense and Houston's playing a lot more cover 3 now. That way they can get eight defenders in the box and be able to help out with their, you know, bad run defense. And so I do think like in this defensive scheme, you know, he's better at cornerback than he is at safety just because he's not, he doesn't have a feel for the safety position. And I always like to joke around, call him, you know, a right fielder uh, playing center field. He's just picking flowers out there a lot of times and takes bad angles and make plays. You know, for, for this game, like I saw him like jam somebody and, and then turn back around the flat where the ball went past him. I saw him play press man coverage on one snap, but the ball didn't go to him. I really don't know, but like I do know that Desmond King is an outside corner at all. And so I'd rather see Desmond King move to the slot um, and put him in a better spot, even though if that means you know, bumping Tavier Thomas and then having Johnson Jr. outside, just because at least, like again, you want to see if there's anything there for next season if he's better in that spot too. Because King and both Mitchell struggle at playing cover one. Um, they struggle at playing cover three. Like Mitchell's been good playing cover two, but whenever they've changed the coverage schemes around, he's really kind of fallen off. And King, aside from that game against Tennessee, you know, he's been a liability in man coverage. And, you know, that's not the spot that he should be playing at. And, you know, he's, I think, done like, I don't know, uh, a whatever job considering the circumstances. But, you know, the, the play-by-play performance has been, you know, pretty terrible from him as far as being an outside corner goes. Yeah, and Desmond King doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be here either, so... He he can mm-hmm. he he continually missed a a walkthroughs probably about three or four weeks ago and that's what led up to his uh his, oh, gotcha. his weekly benching as well he missed like three walkthroughs or three meeting one two meetings one walkthrough something like that I you know so that's what led to him and I I just feel like he's kind of going through the motions he had you know he had the good game against Tennessee but I think what we saw this week is what you're going to see week in and week out with him um. So we got a few more questions here. So I, I did say we'd get to James's DM. So we'll jump over to that question. So James sent me a DM and said, what kind of coaching staff changes do you expect to see this off season? So I think it's clear offensive coordinator, whether that's a, uh, a promotion for Pep Hamilton or bringing in somebody else new. I don't think – I think Campen is probably, you know, I think Campen's probably going to stick around. I don't see any re- reason to make that change. I mean, he's still, I think it's maybe more talent and scheme versus what Campen's teaching on the on the on the run blocking. And then defensive wise, I mean, they're they're eighth on DVOA at this point, and I think Levy Smith is starting to, you know, really string up some variety out there in the play calling. We're not seeing the vanilla schemes like we were seeing the first half of the season, so. James, I would say just at this point, I mean, it's you might see the the shuffle on the back end of position coaches and assistant position coaches, things like that. But from the 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 primary coaches, I think offensive coordinator is going to be your main change. Matt, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I just don't. It's weird because I I like considering what Coley was walking into this year. It really didn't seem like there'd be a chance that he would let, he would he would not be fired. Like, it didn't seem like there was a chance to be fired this year. Like he would have like two or three years to try to like get the morale high and keep things, you know, uplifted while they have a young team and go through a rebuild. But I just think some of the mistakes have been so egregious that I would like to fire him at, after the end of this year too. And it's like, whenever you try to find new players for this team, 
you watched and saw what happened to Desmond King and you know, a variety of these other veteran free agents who they didn't come here to like get a better spot next year, you know, just because of where they had to play and how the season went. And they're not like doing line for a big contract going forward. Like I think Malik Collins is pretty much like the only guy you'd expect to maybe get like a two or three year contract somewhere else. Um, because of like the way this this season has gone for him. I do think like with Camp, and I know you mentioned him, I don't like there you reach a point too where it's like you go through different coaching staffs and different schemes and and the, and if it's still bad, you have to like look at the players. But I do think Campen's done a bunch of like really weird things this year. Like one, just like the inability to pick up, you know, T E stunts and E T stunts with some of these guys and strange. But also whenever they run outside zone, they love to do this strange thing that I understand where if you have a guard and he has a, a two-eye technique, rather than just like offer a hand of help and go to the second level, they're having their guards like give a whole shoulder of help and block down the block and stuff floats to the linebacker. And they have bad guards to begin with who have problems getting the second level, and it just hinders them even more. And the other thing is whenever they do their like hip-tip double teams on uh, pulling run plays, they like to take a slide step away from the defensive tackle and it makes zero sense because that creates a gap. You're not able to get hip to hip and your guys are making contact leaning going forward and, uh, and their double teams on hip to combo blocks have been bad this year as well too. And so I don't understand why he has a coach like that. I haven't seen it done like that at all before. And it's just something I've kind of picked up on, you know, watching the video week to week. And I really, I just don't understand. And so I don't know, like, I don't think Campen's done a good job, but it's like, what, what are you going to do going forward? Are you going to go with the whole new coaching staff after exactly one year? But I do think at minimum, like you said, you know, Tim Kelly should be gone. I don't think Lovey Smith has been you know, particularly good at all this year. They forced a lot of turnovers and turnovers, as we saw last year, and for any team in the NFL, are kind of a mercurial stat where they have a high variance that changes year to year, and they have a high defensive DVOA because they forced a lot of turnovers. But they haven't. they've had troubles getting stops. They've had troubles getting off the field. Um, they've had troubles against the better teams in the league. And they've also just like, just are, they're out of position a lot in their coverages too. And so I don't really think Levy Smith has done like a good job, but I can't imagine a world where he's not here next year. All right. Perfect. So, so we got two other requests. We'll get to, we'll get to y'all folks here in a minute. Sticking on the defensive side. So I posted up about, I think it was yesterday. So Tavier Thomas playing slot. He's he's got a good little sample size. I think of the last six games where he's getting the bulk of the stacks, bulk of the snaps of the position. He's put together some you know some decent tape. He's been doing well there. He's you know I think he's second in in cover snaps per target when we look at some some of the PFF rates. And I'm, I'm not talking about grades, but just the rates and. It, it he's signed through 2022, so that you know that's a that's a good sign if this continues to progress for him. So, what have you been able to take a look at him specifically in these last few games? Yeah, he hasn't really like popped up much at all, and I think one of the problems with you know him playing like one of the reasons for it's not necessarily a problem like of his at all. It's just whenever they're playing as much cover three as they have been, and even playing cover one where they have problems playing man coverage on the outside, he just really isn't targeted, you know? It's like, do you want to throw it to your best receiver against Desmond King who can't play man coverage? Or do you want to go to, like, your fourth progression and throw it to, like, your third best receiver against Tavier Thomas? And so I just don't think he's got a lot of action in that regard. I do think, like, with the the PFF stuff, again, it comes down to the fact that he had that turnover this week. And 
I believe they had a turnover against the Titans as well too. Like those inflate the numbers whenever, or inflate their grades. Like you're talking about their their per snap ratings, but it inflates it whenever you do things like that. And uh, and then also too, like if he's not being targeted, that also goes to impact like the per rate stats. And he just hasn't been targeted a whole lot. I know in this game he had the backflip, you know, interception. There was that slant route that Zach Wilson, you know, try to did his best Ryan Mallow impersonation and threw a hole through his receiver on it. And uh, aside from that, like he wasn't targeted a whole lot, but. I'm excited to finish watching the second half of the defensive video so I can watch more of him. But his like his feet look good, and like he seems like he recognizes routes pretty quickly. I just think it's still kind of a murky picture right now at the moment for him. Um, but he hasn't been like a big you know disaster. And at the cornerback position, he has played better than Terrence Mitchell and Desmond King have lately. Yeah, and so you know the target thing. It's always a function of is his coverage ability preventing the targets or like you said is that the progressions are just not getting to the guy that he's in coverage against so that's just something yeah it's, that, it's that like uh it's like that fun thing like for i don't know like like film twitter it's like see this cornerback's good the cornerback doesn't even look over here he's covered it's like yeah because they're in a bunch formation he has one by one and they're running like a man, you know, coverage beater with a rub concept over here. Like he's not, he's just over there to take another guy out of the box, you know? And so like, that's, that's, it's kind of like one of those things that comes to play in it where we have a limited view of information and it's hard to really kind of isolate some cornerback playing lists are being targeted sometimes. So the defensive front, they're still getting their pressure. I think they had, uh, came back with 12 quarterback pressures with four sacks this weekend. It seems to be the strength of this defensive unit as a whole is that that front four and the rotation they have, especially with with Grenard, Martin, Malik Collins, will excuse Blacklock's uh, performance this weekend. I mean, generally he's got his head a little little better. You know, he's seemed to be between his ears this weekend. But you know, I mean, I think there's definitely something there. They, you know. Just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that front on that front group. I mean, I'm, you know, they're it's it's tough when it's that's the strength of your group and they can still produce what they can. But there's just not much help on the back end. Mm-hmm. But they're able to at least just fire off the line, get upfield, get into the backfield, create a little bit of pressure, create a little bit of uneasiness for the quarterback at this point. I mean, it's it's Zach Wilson, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. But I mean, for the most part, week in and week out, that front group seems to be generating some pressure on a consistent basis. Yeah, I do think the best part of this defense, uh, like as a group, like their edge defenders haven't been good aside from Greenard. Um, But then I think their interior defensive line has been the best part of the defense this year. Like Roy Lopez has been a very solid interior run defender. Um, He has really good hands, and he's able to like read steps and find the ball. And uh, and, like these are like really, really quick, immediate reads that he's able to make. Um, fast, Bill put himself in the right spot to clean up run tackles there. And like Blacklock had the best game of his career last week against Tennessee. And this wasn't like Tennessee's, you know, or, you know, like backup offensive line. Aside from uh, Brewer being in for Nate Davis, it, you know, their starters were out there. It's against Roger Saffold and guys like that. And Mike Collins is, you know, a little spinning, you know, honey bear with a, with a good rip, a good chop, the good spin moves and everything else. And he's been a really disruptive interior pass rusher and has uh, recovered from that shoulder injury really well to have an impact here in Houston. And so I do think like the interior part of the defensive line has been uh, the best the best part of this team. I do think it was kind of funny watching their sacks that they had with the Grazier Hill one, which was 
you know, off of an outside zone play action fake was just split zone with Ryan Griffin coming behind the formation. And he's supposed to cut the first defender and he cuts the edge defender instead. And they did, they've been doing this like weird run fit thing where they have their defensive line slant one direction, a linebacker, uh, you know, come to their linebackers play hard. And then another linebacker flip all the way around the formation to have one versus one tackle chances. And that was Grugier Hill in that sack. He gets downhill and gets there. And the other one was Martin in the red zone where it's uh, they're running, you know, they're faking power ride and they pull Vera Tucker. He follows the guard on the pull ends up being a pass. And he was able to get through Ty Johnson and get the sack on that one. And like Renard had good pass rush move on his too. And so they were able to get some sacks this week just because of the fact that they're, they're going against a play action, heavy passing attack where they had the opportunity they made some good reads and were able to, you come down on the ball and like, they're, they're like, they're not dumb. They don't dumb players in their defense, even though the defense can look a little dumb because of their coverages and where they line up. And they have like smart players who are able to react quickly. But I do think like the interior defensive line has been the best part of this defense. And Grenard's been the best part of the front. Um, but I do think like this front does need some impact players. Like I think Grenard is the third best player on a good pass rush or a good front. And they just need somebody like, you know, JJ Watt or, you know, Jadavion Clowney or Aiden Hutchinson, just like guys who, who can put up, you know, 10 sacks and 20 tackles for a loss in this season. And they just needed, you know, one guy like that, I think, to really kind of bring the rest of the front together. Is Jacob Martin your typical 4-3 DN? Because he seems small for that kind of position. And it, I mean, he has his flashes. He's got the, he's basically got one move, you know, mm-hmm. he's got one pass rush move. And when it works, it works great. And then when it doesn't, he just kind of disappears into the fold, which I think that's a function of his size. And is that kind of what you're seeing from him? Yeah, that's exactly it. Like he has a, a good chop rip move. Cause like with him, like he's just, he's all speed because he's not going to bull rush you at all. And so tackles have just overset on his speed rush. But then like if he knocks hands away, he's able to get that corner to bend around the edge. And like if he does it 30 times in a game, like he eventually, the barrel finds the ball eventually, you know, like he's the Chris Davis of pass rushers where he strikes out 29 times, but he hits a home run, you know, every four or five games. And that keeps him on the field. And like against the run, you know, he's a really bad run defender, but just because of his size, he's not really supposed to play there. I would like to see him playing a three, four defense though. Like you mentioned, he's outplaced playing on this defense, but you know, he's, he has some, he has a little bit of pass rush juice. And you're not kind of getting it from, you know, Marcus Walker. He's playing more of a defensive tackle. And Jenkins was, you know, aside from that one big game he had, he didn't provide much impact well there. And they just don't have very much youth at the position either. But I'm hoping that we see Martin, you know, play a 3-4 defense somewhere next year. And I think the other team that he may end up signing for too is Carolina. I know they play a 4-3, but they play a different 4-3 where they kind of had their their last defense, their outside linebacker kind of playing the, on the line of scrimmage. It makes it a 5-2. And I, Hassan Reich only signed a one-year contract. And so I could see Jacob Martin reunite with Matt Rule there and kind of sliding into Hassan Reddick's spot next season too. I think that's kind of like an easy fit that makes sense. But I just think for this 4-3 defense, Martin doesn't fit in here, and it doesn't make much sense to to keep him here too. Yeah, that's pretty much the, what you said there at the end. It doesn't make sense. It, unfortunately, I, I mean, I think he's a talented player. And like you, like you said, I, I just don't think he fits here. So... Let's see. We'll jump over to a question from the from the group. So Houston Football Three. I know you were in here and then you dropped out. And then, all right, just go ahead and take yourself off mute. There you go. 
Hey guys, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to ask a question. Sure. My my questions are never going to be as insightful as Brandon K. Scott, who, who I saw online a little while ago, but um, two or three part questions. So first one is, what would it take for Royce Freeman and Jimmy Moreland to get a chance? Um, part two, um, this guy is no um, Julian Davenport, but... Um, <laughs> Froholt, or who was one of the guards that uh, the Texans had signed, just got cut by the Cleveland Browns a couple of days ago. So, as bad as the interior offensive line is, you know, could be could be a worthwhile pickup. And and three, what is a realistic expectation for twenty twenty two? I mean, we're already looking past week eighteen here. Thank you. Let's see here. So, I'm trying to remember what all the questions were now. Um, so what is Jimmy, that Jimmy Moreland. Oh, Jimmy Moreland, that's right. So Jimmy Moreland and Royce Freeman. So they saw they signed Darius Jackson to the practice squad today. So giving a little more depth there at the running back. You know, I I think the team's going to treat uh, Royce Freeman kind of like they treated Scotty Phillips. I don't think he – I mean, maybe later down the road, I think he, you know, he's only been here for a couple weeks. I think we're going to continue to see the Johnson-Burkhead uh, fantastic duo – probably at least for the next couple of weeks, Freeman might get some run towards the end of the season to see if it's something worth bringing, you know, bringing back for 2022. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent, but uh, you know, he's, it's going to, it's turning into that, that running back lust that, that fans had for the first half of the season for, for Scotty Phillips, kind of like the Akeem, the Akeem uh, hunt that, you know, the, the hunt uh, lust that we had for many years. So, you know, what a sad it, life. Yeah, I mean Freeman. Yeah, I mean great to. See, I would. I'd, I'd be happy to see him, but I just don't know that he's really going to bring that much more juice beyond what we already have now, what the team already has now, and he's you know might just end up being just another guy. Jimmy Moreland. I. I mean, I, I just can't figure him out. I mean, they put the claim in on him, and. You know, it seemed like he was injured there in the beginning, and now he's just kind of relegated to special teams. I don't know if it's somebody that is – he's kind of a uh, 53-man practice squad floater, but they're keeping him on the 53-man, kind of just kind of see what he's got, what kind of juice he's got, and just continue his development. I don't – you know, absent an injury, I'm not sure he's going to really see much of the field this year unless the coaching staff just has a change of, change of heart and wants to see some of the younger players towards the end of the season. Matt, you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I think whenever I watched Freeman earlier this year for Carolina, I was like, he looks better than Chuba Hubbard. I didn't think Hubbard was very good at with uh, Carolina all this year after like you know his prestige at Oklahoma State and them using him around pick on him. And I just don't know enough at all about um, the cornerback Moreland that they that, that you guys are talking about. I've never watched him play at all before, so I don't really know much about him at all. But I'm expecting that it's gonna be a lot of Burkhead because this is his his team now. And you're going to see a lot of Burkhead and David Johnson, and maybe you'll see Freeman like you know get three or four carries or whatever. But barring an injury, uh, which may happen, you know, I would I I'd expect for uh, Burkhead get the majority of the carries going forward. Yeah, I never thought I would see, at least this year, I never thought I would see that uh, Burkhead was listed as a top five waiver wire pickup for fantasy football. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, not, that's funny, not like, quite what I had envisioned when they when they started this season. Yeah, and it's funny. Like I like Burkhead. Like I wanted Houston to sign him, and I was mad when New England did. But that was like 2015. You know, I was like, this would be a good guy for Houston to sign. He's a good backup 
uh, running back, like a complimentary uh, back is a good pass catcher. And that was like six years ago. And so I can't believe that this is the year that's happening, you know? Yeah. I mean, I saw, I was watching the Houston Texans YouTube interview with, you know, Vandermeer and Harris had Casario on and, and he was talking about Burkhead and how he's just a fantastic teammate fantastic guy in the locker room you know he understands what we ask of him so to me it's just you know he's he's the good soldier he's exactly what the the locker room needs today you know and absent of what we see on the field that's what the team is kind of looking for out of their veterans at this point and you know to to one of your other questions you asked about 2022 i think you're gonna you're gonna see the continued roster churn you know the team Today, I think, only has like 27 players under contract for 2022. You know, Morrissey, I think, is an exclusive rights free agent. So you'd see him back with a, on, a, on, a, on the minimum tender, and then you'll sign probably a dozen up to 14 or 15 futures contracts. So that gets you up to – what does that get you up to around 42, 44 players. So you got to fill out a, 50, a 90-man roster, and even if even if – we get the the team gets the watch and trade done and Casario does some trade downs and comes out of the draft with 12, 14 players. You're still looking at a free, you know, an undrafted free agent class of 15. So that's, that's still another 15 to 20 straight free agents or unrestricted free agents. So, mm-hmm. and I do think you're going to see players like Cannon, Cunningham, Fairbairn, Murray, that are all going to be released in the off season. So I think to answer your question on 2022, you're going to see a lot of what we saw in 2021. You're going to see a lot of roster turn as this team continues to, to mold it into what Casario sees for the future. I, I think the, you know, I think players like Tunsil could potentially be on the trade block. I'm, I'm still 50, 50 on him, whether you keep him or you don't keep him. I, I can't make up my mind on that today, but at this point, I think other absent a few 2020 draft picks and your 2022 draft class, pretty much every player is available, whether it's trade, release, anything like that. So for 2022, I, I'd maybe maybe a few more wins. You know, it depends on who they bring in as a play caller and what kind, what kind of uh, offensive group they have for next year. But uh, at least from a, a, a roster building standpoint, you're going to see a lot of what we saw in 2021. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And like, I think the biggest thing for me next year, though, it's like at least they have their their top draft picks again. But I just want to see like a commitment to a rebuild. You know, this year was kind of uh, like a half and half. You know, where they got rid of some of these bad contracts, they you know turned the bottom half of the roster, they you know took on your prove it deals, which. You know, it makes sense if you're not you don't have like a bunch of bad contracts on the, on the roster as well either but the contract restructures didn't make any sense because they made those moves to create cap space for this year and so they could sign like Kevin Pierre Lewis you know and so at least next year like I'm just hoping for like a true commitment to a rebuild where it's a, a wide UDFA net it's veteran signed for players for like 25 26 27 instead of 32 33 and uh, and then they also make the Watson trade and they get, you know, maybe two top 10 picks this year. They tr- make a trade the New York Giants, for example. And so that's what I want to see next year. I just want to see, like, an actual commitment to the rebuild instead of having, like, a year of stagnation where, you know, you don't get better by staying the same. You get worse because there is stagnation and, and, uh, and decreasing involved with that. 
All right, so we'll jump over to another question. We'll uh, go over to uh, Turn Up for What podcast. I know he's uh, not sure what time it is over in his area. What's up, Ewan? Let's, let's let him connect here. There he is. Ewan. Hey, doing, guys? Um, I'm not usually up at this time, but yeah, yeah. just a, 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 I was wondering <laughs> what time. Yeah, I figured it's what is your what you're five hours ahead of us, six hours. Uh, yeah, I've just traveled back from Houston, so I'm dealing with some jet lag. Um, the uh, it, Troy, in term, terms of the the overall kind of cap picture, you kind of touched on it there. Um, based on all the restructures, uh, wh- how do you view Nick's management of the cap? And is there any is there any future dead money or contracts that you think they've taken on that might be prohibitive? Yeah, so in 2022. You know, as of today, you know they're they're they have twenty two million in dead money already on the on the twenty twenty two cap, but they're going to free up a lot of money once the Watson trade is done. You know, he's got a forty point four cap charge next year with fifteen, a little over fifteen in, in dead money. So there'll be a big a big chunk in savings once they get that once they get that. Uh, I think it's like twenty four million in savings once they get that done. So they'll be able to maneuver pretty, pretty easily in free agency. If that's, if that's what they end up targeting any players in, in the first wave, you know, I, you know, new England, they were very picky when it came to free agency and, you know, they were definitely in the wave two and the wave three type of signings, but they would just dabble when they needed to like the Stefan Gilmore signing, things like that. So it's going to be, interesting to see it was hard to it was hard to kind of grapple Casario's thought with what was coming in this year so next year with the full slate of draft picks we'll hopefully get a little better accurate picture of what he what he values what you know whether it's defensive backs versus pass rush does he bring over the mentality that was in New England of not paying wide receivers you know the same thing that Bill O'Brien had he didn't want to he didn't like paying wide receivers and so I think they'll have plenty of maneuverability. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, if they, they move Murray, they move Cunningham, they move Cunning, uh, Marcus Cannon, Fairbairn, Kevin Pierre-Lewis has been a failed signing from, from what I've been told. That's just a basic major regret. So when you factor all that in, I mean, they're going to have a ton of cap space, but like we talked about, they're going to have a ton of players to sign. So, they did push a lot of money into 2022 with some of the restructures, but I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to hurt them going forward. I think, you know, we're, you're going to see the rise in the cap. There's a, I think the floor for next year is, or the, the, the ceiling on the cap next year is 208 million and change. It'll probably get close to that, if not get to that number, but it's not going to go any higher than 208 because the league doesn't like to allowed large increases in the salary cap they like to kind of kind of do a a stepped increase year over year instead of having a big huge percentage jump one year to the next because they did borrow from future caps to to pay off the debt for this year so yeah i think that's your that's your group of players that's probably going to be gone and then you're going to see It'll just be we're going to see the big wave in two and wave wave three of free agents, but it'll be interesting if if Casario actually goes out and tries to sign a big name or two. So hopefully that answers your question. 
I appreciate it. All right. We'll get some rest, buddy. So I don't like this now. Whenever I say remove from speakers, it gives me, it asks me if I really want to do that. And it's extra button pushing. <laughs> All right, Matt, you doing okay on time? Good. Yeah, I'm great. All right, just a couple more minutes here. We usually run it right up to 10. So we're a couple minutes away. So dive off of, we'll get away from Texas for a minute. I, I had to ask you this because you post this on Twitter right at Thanksgiving. What, what was that turkey queso nonsense? So I, I had a, a dream come to me while I was driving to work one morning and uh, I could just see it. You know, you have that big cavity in the turkey and you put like, you know, carrots and crap in it. And uh, I would just, it came to me a dream where I found some, you know, turkey base that's like spicy, like a New Mexican turkey base. And it like puts this like hard coat of armor on the turkey. So it stays like really, you know, moist on the inside. Everybody talks about turkey being dry, like, Turkey's good, you know. You're not, uh, you're not creating a personality by not liking turkey at all. But it's like it's cool because it, it puts the shell around like it's a giant turtle, and the turkey's really moist the inside. So you you put that based on it, you pull it out, and then you just jam a big block of Velveeta in the center of it, and Rotel make queso in the center of it. And so then you have turkey, you know, as you know, because it's a turkey, and then you have queso in the interior of it, and so you have turkey con queso and. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget uh, the man who who made the turkey con queso, and he said it was a, a beautiful dish, a great uh, a great cooking adventure, and it brought a lot of you know love and life to his family this Thanksgiving season. Oh my goodness, that was an atrocity! It's beautiful, yeah. That... C. Palmer one two four. That's that's my guy who made the turkey. Oh my gosh, no, I can't do. It. I mean. My wife and her family are Hispanic, so there's just no way that would be allowed. But I saw that. I was like, I'm going to have to ask Matt about that because that just, that was, I don't I don't know what that was. So, you, But you, you should get one. Now, turkeys are cheap. You should yeah. get one, stick in the freezer, and then just wait for like you know, February or so. Have a nice pick-me-up before the springtime hits and... I'm telling you, it's a, it's something that's worth doing at least once, you know? Yeah, I'll try to talk to my wife into it. I mean, we, we do, I do smoke a lot of turkeys. I usually buy four or five turkeys at a time. Just the turkey, oh, yeah. not just the turkey breast, not the, not the full turkey. Mm-hmm. And, and it oddly is not the, the butterball turkey breast that you buy because it's already brined and injected and everything. I just throw it on the grill and smoke it with some meat church, meat church, honey hog seasoning. And man, it's just, Fantastic. So if, if anybody needs something quick and I say quick, it's like three or four hours of smoking, but that's a great Turkey meal. One of the questions I had for you. So you're very technical with, with how you look at the game. So where did, I mean, did you play the game? Did you go is, how did you pick up all this from some, you know, if somebody listening on here wanted to try to get into all 22 looking at the tape, identifying coverages, schemes, what they're doing, technique, things like that. How did you get into all that? Yeah, like, well, being from Texas and being, you know, a fat kid growing up, I had to play football and I had to play offensive and defensive line. And no matter how badly I wanted to, you know, catch the ball, I never got the chance to. And so I played football, like, you know, since like seventh grade onwards and, I played offensive tackle in high school. This is all a very long time ago. I don't like really talking about it much because whenever you get into conversations of, you know, 
reminiscing on being, you know, 18 years old or whatever, those are usually sad conversations and not, you know, very happy or whatever. But I play offensive tackle there and uh, we had a game week three and I was offensive player of the week in a 42 to zero loss because our quarterback got hurt. And they had my picture up on the wall and everything. I still think it was the funniest thing ever. Um, and I could play like some D3 college football, but I decided to go uh, to Texas State instead and drink beer with my friends. And that ended my football career. But it was something where like I, my body grew into it more. And um, and I wasn't very good for like probably, I think 90% of the time I played football, I was miserable. Where you're just like getting hit in the head and it's hot and you know, you're, you're fat and you're not having very much fun with it. And, and you're weak and you're just getting the crap kicked out of you. And then like, it all kind of came together and like, whenever you're on and like, you can actually push people around, it's the best game you can play. But whenever you're physically not able to, uh, cause everybody's bigger and stronger than you, it's not very much fun, but it was good. It was, you know, I enjoyed playing and it made me, you know, football is kind of more than football in a way. And it made my life better in an indirect way, you know, by having to work through all that sort of stuff too. But like, that's why, like, I know, like, offensive line stuff and defensive line stuff and all the coverages and things like that I had to, you know, go through and, and read and learn more about. And that's one of the great things about, you know, the internet. They have so many great coaches who have the summers where they just talk to each other and they write articles where you can learn how a man-match defense works and, you know, over the course of a week or whatever. Then you can watch the video and figure it out, too, from there. But it just kind of stemmed from that, from, you know, playing playing football before and then uh, and kind of, like, knowing what I'm seeing from that and, knowing what it feels like to like be in that spot um, in like a, a very like novice way, you know? Good. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, you know, it's like I said, you're, you, you have very technical aspect of looking at things. And I, I think that's a, a fantastic thing. And, you know, I continue to look forward to what you put out there. Um, let's see, Mike. Oh, hey, Mike, Mike Meltzer's over here listening so I got one question and I ask this question of every guest that I have each week. So, and this changes week to week for me as well. So as of today of the players that are either on one-year deals or pending free agents, what are some of the players that you think the team needs to resign for 2022? Yeah, I think, well, it's hard uh, just because you don't really know what like next year is going to look like as far as traffic goes to the Watson trade. But I think it's just kind of like which players are good right now. Yeah, I, I, and, that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> and uh, I think Malik Collins is good. I like, I mean, Cameron Gregor Hill is my favorite player they signed last year just because you know, he wasn't good at other places and he was a, a coverage linebacker who couldn't cover. And watching him like have a really good season and just be intelligent. And, you know, whatever it is that the Texans are trying to build, I think he's uh, like a perfect example of that as far as like a culture fits and I like I like him whenever Rivers McCowns posts the press conferences with him in there. He just seems like he really loves the game and uh, and he has like a, a really good mind for it. So I would say Malik Collins, Cam McGregor Hill, offensive line wise, I would just keep Tyus Howard and try to get rid of the rest of them. Um, Chris Conley has been very good, and Alclair has been very good. None of the running backs can stay. I mean, it's it's tough. But I would really say just like Malik Collins and Gregor Hill as far as the one-year contracts and the unrestricted free agents you have. And everybody else just really just hasn't been, you know, very good and, and are worth keeping around, you know. Yeah, you got – you mentioned a few players that are on my list. So this – you know, my list changes every week. So it's definitely – and Malik Collins and Gruje Hill have been on the list and stayed on the list. player that's interesting to me is Demarcus Walker. 
And that, you know, this is all assuming these players come back at market rate. Chris Conley, I think, is a good depth wide receiver if he comes back at a similar contract that he's on this year. We'll have to see how Lane Taylor does for the rest of the year if his body can hold up. I had Auclair on my list. You mentioned him. So I think Anthony Auclair is definitely, and he's not going to cost much above the minimum anyway. So, you know, he's a good blocking tight end. And then one other one, this is kind of from a more of a depth, persp- depth perspective, Garyon Christian. Is that somebody that you think, if the numbers are right, just assume in the market rate, is that somebody that you would at least want to bring back to camp? Yeah, I think for him, the big it really just depends if you put Tyus Howard left tackle or not, and if you keep you know Tunsil around. Uh, but I think the biggest thing with Christian is like he's been a good like pass protector at that spot, and uh, he's playing kind of the inside Robert Johnson, where Robert Johnson had some problems with pass protection, but he was a really good outside zone blocker, and by probably the best outside zone blocker the Texans had, you know, oddly enough, and could actually make that stupid you know tunnel screen block in the alley. But I think Christian's a good you know pass protector he hasn't done much of the run game and really the biggest thing about him is that heck you know when you watch his north carolina video he was awful left tackle and whenever he was drafted everybody you know hated the pick because they watched the left tackle video you yeah, go back the year before that and watch the right tackle video where he was like you know a really good collegiate uh tackle at that spot and it's so like christian i think it gives you some you know it gives you protection of both left tackle and right tackle and so he wouldn't be you know, a bad player to keep around for a year you have any thoughts on – I mean, I know we we don't know what how the draft's going to play out, but let's just assume that a quarterback is not picked in the first round for Texans next year. And more or less, Davis Mills is the only guy in your quarterback room. Maybe they maybe they take another day-two guy or something like that. But is there any bridge quarterbacks, or, you, or is it something Tyrod Taylor is, you know, is fine to bring back, or is there another bridge-type quarterback out there? Like Mitchell Trubisky, Mar- Marcus Mariota, Andy Dalton. I, I know it's scary to think about that stuff, but what are your thoughts on the quarterback situation for 2022? I mean, the only two quarterbacks I like for you know, next year, like I don't know Mariota. Like I've watched, I've watched so many Mariota games. Being a Tennessee Titans fan, like I am, and uh, I wouldn't want to see Mariota here unless like Mariota be good. Like if you kind of how the Raiders had set up before the Gruden firing, where they had like a well-structured offense. And so, like, San Francisco, I think, would be a good spot for Mariota because they run a really well-structured offense. For Houston, where you have an offense that doesn't really do that at all, I think Mariota makes sense. I mean, the two guys I like, I think Bridgewater's been a fringe top-ten quarterback this year. And, like, nobody wants to say it because of the record, but he's been really great at throwing vertical passes. His big problem, though, is, like, on third and eight, he throws the ball for six yards. And, you know, their, off- their run game has been as good as expected. They have an awful right side of their offensive line. But he's probably having the best year of his entire career there in Denver. And so I think he would be a good bridge quarterback and be better than Tyrod Taylor. And the other guy is Jameis Winston. And Winston tore his ACL, but the Saints are kind of set up this year. It's like going a big December run and be that team you don't want to play in the postseason after they've been trying to bridge Winston from like wearing that quick, efficient, you know, Drew Brees offense to like just to corral him to kind of teach him the game so he didn't take so many sacks and interceptions. I did have a feeling like with Michael Thomas maybe coming back sometime this year and just having the ability to have more of their other receivers not focus on creating first downs and be able to you know, run down the field, which is you know, Winston's best skill set, which is throwing the ball deep. Um, that that was there for potential too in the ACL injury. 
you know, hurt that. And they have some cap problems next year too. And so I think like for me, like if you wanted to get a one year in between quarterback, if Bridgewater or Winston were available, those would be the guys I'd like to go after. Not necessarily like Dalton or Trubisky or Mariota. Cause I do think like we know what those guys are. And with Winston, there's upside there with Bridgewater. I don't know if there's upside there, but he's been, you know, fringe top 10 quarterback this season in Denver. Yeah. I'm looking at Bridgewater's numbers right now and it, it's aligning with what you're saying. And his biggest knock has always been, like you said, pass, throwing past the sticks. And I, I, I can't remember who who posted the chart, but he was definitely one of the lower-end quarterbacks on third down, like you mentioned, throwing past the sticks. But even looking at his dot for this year, you know, it's it's the highest it's ever been. It's 8.6, 8.6 yards this year, and he's never been above 7 point, I think 7.6 or 7.4. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely – I'll have to dig in more into that for sure. You know, the contract with him would be kind of a sticking point for me what to see what his rate's going to be. The only other concern I would have out there is if he traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. And that – what are your thoughts on Jimmy Garoppolo? Uh, it's it's yes it's, uh, well I'll do you a favor Troy I'll uh, I'll I'll ignore my my beautiful wife and child for like an hour or so and I'll just pull up a bunch of clips of Bridgewater hitting vertical passes down the sideline for you because okay. he's been he's been great at it and you know it's just kind of like one of the things that that gets kind of covered up where everybody's talking about the Rams and the Packers and the Patriots and the Bills and so it kind of got a little bit lost this year but I can do that Garoppolo is kind of like Mariota too like he's a system quarterback. And if you don't have a, if you have a great offensive system, he could be like an above average quarterback, but he's never going to make plays out of the structure. He's not going to make big play throws. He's going to, if you need like a throw in the game's online, he's not the guy that you want to have do that at all. As we saw in that Super Bowl loss to Kansas City, and the Texans just don't have a, a great offensive structure. And and also he's another guy too that has just has problems with pass rush. You know, even going back to whenever he was in college, he was just a guy who, at the first side of pressure, he really kind of crumbled against it. He doesn't have very much mobility. Like he, he, he looks like Payne Manning whenever he tries to leave the pocket there. And, uh, and so I would not be interested in Garoppolo at all. But I do think it would be the most Texans thing in the world to you know, trade a second-round pick for Garoppolo and then you know, have a bad year with him and then go get a quarterback in 2023. Well, for the record on, on that, though, I heard, last I was told about, a, about two weeks ago, Jimmy Garoppolo would have no – he would be none too happy if he was traded to Houston. So maybe we won't have to worry about it. So, you know, we're already 12 minutes past 10, so that's a little over. So we'll we'll call it a night from here. Um, Matt, tell the folks where they can find your work at. Yeah, you can find me at Matt, double underscore Weston on Twitter. Um, I write for Bow Red Blog, which you can, you know, just find by searching Bow Red Blog and, I also run the podcast over there called Red Radio, which you can find by searching for Houston Texans podcast as well. If you forget, it's Red Radio. And uh, again, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt double underscore Weston. I'm a little busy this week, but I think I think for sure next week, I'll have a film article on Jonathan Grenard available. It's been kind of the, the newest thing. Like I, I've been meaning to write that I haven't enough clips for, and, uh, and it's been sitting there waiting for me. So hopefully after a good game against the Colts, who found their entire offensive line healthy, and Renard's still having a good performance against them. Uh, there'll be some good new stuff after this weekend to write about next week for a job that Grenard article. Outstanding. I'll be on the lookout for that. I really appreciate it, Matt. I know we, uh, like I said in the beginning, we've been 
been needing to to connect up like this and I, like i said i really appreciate you taking the time to to bring your knowledge to to this space and and talk to me about this and you know we'll we'll definitely hopefully maybe try to get you back on get you back on later towards the end of the season or you know maybe in the off season things like that so just wanted to say thanks and uh, i appreciate the time sir yeah thanks a lot for having me on and uh i'll i'll have to invite to you as well for Ballard radio because i need somebody to explain to me this this post june 1st cap nonsense because i don't understand it at all no problem man just just tell me when and we'll we'll make it work sounds great <laughs> all right well with that we will call it a night that's one hour and 13 minutes so Another week here on Cap and Trade. Like we said, we had Matt Weston on with us tonight, and we will be back next week, assuming everything runs smoothly. So hopefully we'll see a little better performance this weekend with the Colts. And with that, we will call it a night. Everybody have a good evening. Thanks. Thanks.